Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I am your host, Jordan Jones. Happy New Year to you all. This is our first episode of 2021. While 2020 was a brutal year for many, and you know, for everyone who is a big sports fan, it was a, a tough year with just a weird feeling around sports once they finally came back. But you know, I'm thankful that the boredom that struck everyone back in the spring inspired me to start this podcast and begin developing uh, the relationship I have with you all here. Um, despite an abbreviated football season that didn't go as well as Purdue fans hoped and an unconventional basketball season, though it is awesome uh, to have basketball back, I'm excited for what 2021 will bring me to talk about here on this show. Since the last episode, uh, Purdue basketball went a very expected one and three while Purdue football is still looking to get the coaching staff in order for the 2021 season. But let's go ahead and get started by breaking down some Boilermaker basketball. And as I said, in the last four games, uh, Purdue went one and three. Um, not going to do an in-depth breakdown of them all. I took the week off right after Christmas there as I was visiting with some family. But, you know, the final scores here... Iowa 70 to Purdue 55, uh, a game where, you know, Purdue didn't shoot all that well. Uh, Iowa played well on defense. They rebounded well. Uh, Purdue couldn't get much going. They bounced back with a Christmas Day victory at home against Maryland 73 to 70. The Boilers held off a big second half comeback by Maryland um, to get a much needed victory. They went to Rutgers and had a nice second half push to take the lead for a while, but ultimately fell 81-76 before uh, Illinois on Saturday took down Purdue 66-58 to in the most recent game. Purdue had a big surge to start the second half, but it just wasn't enough. Too many empty possessions helped Illinois pull away. Now, as I said, I'm not going to do an in-depth breakdown of all of these. That's just too much. And we're too far removed from so many of those games. But, uh, you know, the the Maryland win was a game Purdue absolutely had to have in that stretch of four. Um, the other three games, you, know, you could argue, are Purdue going at the three best teams in the Big Ten at their place. And those are always tough games, whether there are fans or no fans in attendance just some thoughts here from the last four games as a whole and, you know, kind of checking in to see where we're at now. We're about a month and a half into the season. Now we're a quarter of the way through big 10 play as Purdue sits at two and three and seven and five overall. Eric Hunter jr. Is the key to Purdue's success this season. Uh, We've seen him really struggle here recently in the Iowa game. Hunter had four points on just two of 10 shooting and turned the ball over five times. He himself admitted in the postgame press conference that he had to be better than that. And he was in the Maryland game. He was much better, uh, had 16 points there. But then at Rutgers, just nine points on two of eight from the field and a really tough game for him at Illinois on Saturday. Zero points on 0 of 6 from the field and turned the ball over four times. 
you know, we've seen how much better the offense is when Eric Hunter plays well. In the second half of the Ohio State game, we saw that. And in the entirety of the Notre Dame game, we saw that. Um, Getting him going at this point is vital for Purdue. He's been really struggling to get to the rim lately. That was very noticeable against Illinois uh, and Iowa as well. You know, when you have Luca Garza and Kofi Coburn down low, it's tough for a smaller guard like Hunter to get to the rim effectively. I would love to see him start to use his pull-up game more. That was a huge strength of his last year in his sophomore season when you know, he took the biggest step forward of anyone on that roster from their freshman to sophomore year. That pull-up game was so good for him. He's comfortable using it. He's good off the dribble. We've even seen him use that little turnaround fadeaway. Uh, he's very good doing that. I'd love to see him do that more, but you know, he is Purdue's best ball handler. And that has been such a big addition that Eric Hunter brings to the lineup. You know, he missed the first few games of the year with a leg injury, but he's back now and his turnover issues can be a difficult thing for Purdue at times because he is the best ball handler. When he's playing well, this offense can be really good. You know, you saw that game at Notre, against Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic where the offense was dynamic. And granted, Notre Dame is not a great defensive team, but Purdue played really well in that game. And it was because Eric Hunter was their best player on offense. Seeing him get some more consistency going is going to be crucial for this team as they look to go through the rest of the Big Ten and get into the NCAA tournament. Elsewhere in the starting lineup, Brandon Newman is going to be really, really good for Purdue. He's established himself at this point as the best multi-level scorer on the team. He's very comfortable as a mid-range shooter already, and that's really, really nice to see. That, that's such an area that you know you always hear it described as a lost art, but I really do believe that it is a lost art to some degree. And Brandon Newman is excellent as a mid-range shooter, coming off screens, coming off a dribble. Certainly, he can knock down some threes. Uh, I don't have his percentage in front of me right now, but he also finishes well around the basket. He's Purdue's only guy who consistently scores from all three levels. He he has his struggles on defense right now, but that's normal for a freshman. He plays hard. Uh, we've seen him pick up some frustration fouls at times, but as a whole, there's so much to be excited about uh, with Brandon Newman. I've seen some comparisons with you know, message boards and Twitter to Etwan Moore. I don't know that that's a bad comparison. I think at this stage in their careers, Moore was a better three-point shooter, uh, but the potential is there, and I think that's a good comparison. Um, as Newman gets more comfortable throughout the season, he's going to get better and better. And the old saying, you know, the best part of freshmen is they become sophomores couldn't be more true for this team right now because they are so young. And to think of what Brandon Newman can look like after a year of Big Ten experience is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we've seen his region backcourt combo, Sasha Stefanovic, really uh, emerge this year. He was always a solid shooter. Now it's clear that he's one of the best shooters in the Big Ten. Uh, there was always the narrative that I heard from 
a lot of Purdue fans that, you know, Sasha Stefanovic can't shoot on the road. Uh, that's nothing but a distant memory. He's been excellent from beyond the arc. Um, three for four from beyond the arc at Illinois the other day. He's had multiple threes in, you know, against Rutgers, against Iowa. Shot the lights out in the Crossroads Classic. Uh, shot well in the tournament down in Florida. Uh, that narrative is long gone. He's also gotten better as a cutter this season. And we see this a lot where Stefanovic cuts down the baseline when the offense gets stuck at times. He does this well. Uh, he finishes around the basket better than he did a year ago. But he also draws a lot of fouls. And Stefanovic is shooting right around 80% from the foul line this year. Uh, that's spectacular. If he can keep doing that and keep getting fouled, going to the line, uh, that's a great sign for this Purdue team. He's also been very good when he uses that cutting ability to dish off passes to Travion Williams. There was a great example of that in the Rutgers game uh, in that second half when Purdue was going on their run. It's nice to see him kind of develop that other aspect of his game because we have seen teams start to try to take him away completely. Coming off screens, they overhelp to make sure Stefanovic doesn't get that open look from the corner. Um, he does have too many poor passes that get picked off. And there was one of those against Illinois. There was a very ill-advised pass in transition in the Iowa game in the second half that really hurt Purdue. But he takes charge as well. He had a nice one against Trent Frazier the other night. Uh, Stefanovic has really just been a solid piece for Purdue all season. And, you know, he provides some energy. He provides some passion. And that's really big for this Purdue team. I think it's important that Travion Williams gets a lot of credit lately. He got off to a really tough start this year, was benched for Zach Eady uh, in the Indiana State game where Eady got the start over Williams, and Williams responded very, very well, uh, put up 30 points in that game. Uh, and ever since then, he's been fantastic. Meanwhile, you know, Zach Eady is going through some freshman struggles, and we're starting to see a little bit of exposure of some lack of physical strength and lack of physical development combined with his inexperience as a guy who's very new to the game of basketball. That's really showing in Big Ten play. And he's also gone up against some really good big men. You know, Luca Garza is the best player in America, uh, obviously the best big man in America. And Kofi Coburn is excellent, especially on the defensive end. The guy is just a monster, and Edie really struggled with some of those matchups. It's understandable for, for sure. Um, you certainly hope that coming up here, he has some more favorable matchups, and you have to be impressed with where he's already at. Uh, he was a clear redshirt candidate until Matt Harms elected to transfer. Um, I think Purdue does miss Matt Harms' defensive ability right now. That's certainly an area where Purdue struggles is rim protecting. Harms was an elite rim protector for Purdue, excellent at blocking shots and just altering uh, the shots of guards who would drive through the lane. But, you know, Edie's going to continue to get better. He has a bright future at Purdue. But while he's been struggling, Williams has picked up the slack 
Um, we saw him have a great game against Rutgers and their solid big man, Miles Johnson. Williams had 21 points and 12 rebounds, and he was uh, 10 of 12 from the field in that game. He's averaging 14.1 points, 9.6 rebounds, along with two and a half assists a game for Purdue. Uh, this is going into the Nebraska game. Sometimes he does do a little bit too much in the passing game. Um, when he gets some of those one-on-one matchups, I think he could stand to be a little more aggressive in taking guys one-on-one. I thought he did a good job of that against Kofi Coburn in the Illinois game. Uh, while some of the shots weren't falling early, he stuck with it and reaped the benefits in the second half a little bit more. We still do see some free throw struggles from Williams. Um, at this point of his career, I just don't know that that's going to be solved. It is uh, certainly an area of concern. We saw it last year. We saw it his freshman year. Uh, I think that may just be an area that Purdue is going to have to accept. But Williams has just been very good for Purdue. And if he can keep up this level of play, that's going to help Purdue greatly uh, because he is becoming a very solid piece at the five for Purdue. At the four spot, you know, it's an, it was an area of concern coming into the season for sure. Uh, but Mason Gillis has been tremendously valuable to this team, even though he isn't much of a scorer at this stage of his career. Um, he is a great rebounder. You see him play with a really high motor, uh, hard, plays hard on defense. We saw him go hard into uh, DeMonte Williams in the Illinois game. Uh, got banged up there for a little bit, but came right back in. Uh, nothing serious there. But he's been cold shooting lately. Uh, that was probably bound to happen after he made something like 13 straight shots at one point. Um, he's going to be a guy that Purdue fans absolutely love. And that is key for this team. He's a guy who plays just so hard. And we've seen Purdue fans rally around that. He's a guy who fires his teammates up, and he's been getting a lot more minutes than Aaron Wheeler at this point. Uh, Wheeler has not regained any consistency from beyond the arc, sitting around 25% from long distance on the year. And we see where sometimes he misses a couple shots early, and it just affects his whole game. Um, he did have a nice day against Illinois, knocked down a couple threes. I thought it really helped him to knock down a three at the end of the first half when he didn't really have a choice but to shoot it when the ball hit his hands. I think sometimes you know, he can overthink things. He had a shot against Rutgers where he catches the ball uh, near the top of the key and hesitates and looked like he was going to go past the ball, and then he shot it. Uh, ball hit all backboard. Not a good shot, but... If he cannot think and just put the ball up, that certainly helps guys who are struggling shooting. But Gillis has just been so good at the four. It was interesting to see um, Ethan Morton get some minutes at the four against Illinois. Um, he's certainly yet to get fully comfortable. His bout with Mono um, has certainly slowed him down. Uh, in the preseason, obviously missed... Uh, a couple weeks of practice from that and was by no means ready for the minutes he got in the Space Coast Challenge. But, you know, he's not scoring a ton when he's in. 
Certainly still adjusting on the defensive end, but you know, Morton is a very highly regarded player. Matt Painter absolutely loved him coming in. It is far too early to make any judgments on Ethan Morton other than uh, the jump from Pennsylvania high school basketball to the Big Ten is certainly a big one, and that is something that, you know, Ethan Morton is not the first guy to um, struggle to make that transition as a freshman, and he will certainly not be the last. We see Isaiah Thompson come off the bench a good amount, and boy, was he huge for Purdue against Rutgers. 17 points, uh, knocked down some big-time three-pointers in that one, but he still struggles to handle the ball. Uh, I think it is very obvious at this point that Thompson is best suited uh, to come off the ball and play the two spot, even though he is certainly a little bit undersized. That certainly is an area where he gets exposed on defense, um, really struggles when he has to guard guys who are significantly bigger than him. But, you know, he's a good shooter. He is a good piece for Purdue to have off the bench, and his experience does help. Uh, you saw it in that Rutgers game. It pays to have a guy who has a year of Big Ten experience under his belt. And then the last player getting consistent minutes I'll touch on is Jaden Ivey. Look, he is a fearless young freshman. Uh, his ambition is going to make him a tremendous player for Purdue. He is incredibly aggressive with the basketball. He doesn't back down from any scoring opportunities, and that's something you'll live with. Uh, that certainly beats the alternative of someone who is afraid to shoot the ball, someone who is not comfortable going to make plays. Ivy is fantastic going to the basket. Um, he hasn't shot great from long range, though. He's comfortable shooting from long range. He's not afraid to put him up. But I think I would love to see him attack the basket a little bit more off the dribble. He had a lot of success. Uh, again, in that Rutgers game, made a few nice plays going to the bucket. But settles for too many jump shots right now. The future, though, for this Purdue team is incredible. This is the youngest team in the Big Ten. They are the 310th most experienced team in the country out of 353. That is very, very young. Obviously, there are no seniors on this team. That leads to a lot of these inconsistent performances. And Matt Painter really referenced that in his post-game press conference after the Illinois game, where Purdue has some really good stretches and some bad stretches. And as Matt Painter put it, they need the bad stretches to become average. That would help this team a lot. Um, this is an incredibly young team and an incredibly experienced Big Ten. And I know Purdue fans don't often like to hear that. Purdue fans have gotten very accustomed to winning a lot. Uh, we saw Robbie Hummel, Etuan Moore, Jawan Johnson, Scott Martin come in and finish up near the top of the Big Ten as freshmen. We saw Isaac Haas, P.J. Thompson, Vince Edwards, Dakota Mathias come in and never finish below third in the Big Ten. That's not the reality for this year's team. They're not going to finish in the top three of the Big Ten. But that's okay. You know, this is an experienced Big Ten. If you look at the best four teams this year, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Illinois. No particular order on that. Those are the four best teams, though. 
and they all have a lot of experience. Uh, Wisconsin certainly, um, they start a bunch of guys who are all seniors, very experienced. Iowa has a load of experience. Rutgers was able to play so many young guys that now it feels like Geo Baker has been in the league for forever. Uh, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that he was a freshman uh, having a fantastic game against Purdue in the Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden, but that was a long time ago now. Uh, and Illinois has some good experienced pieces as well. Iota soon moves a junior. Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams are seniors. Georgie Bashanishvili is a junior. Coburn played a lot last year. Uh, all these teams are really experienced, and it is key to get old and stay old. Experience wins in the Big Ten, and we're seeing that again this year. Next year, Purdue will be one of the most experienced teams in the league. Uh, teams are naturally going to lose guys. Certainly look at you know the two best players in the league, Luka Garza and Io Dasunmu. They'll be gone. Um, nonetheless, though, Purdue made it through a brutal four-game stretch here. They don't see Iowa, Illinois, or Rutgers again this season. That is the regular season. They may obviously find them in the Big Ten tournament, but Purdue only has one matchup with Wisconsin. That isn't until March 2nd. There are a lot of winnable games here left on the schedule. It's going to be crucial that Purdue defends their home court and really plays some teams well in the middle of the Big Ten. Uh, the middle of the Big Ten is incredibly talented this year. We're seeing Northwestern look like an unexpected Big Ten tournament team. Excuse me, NCAA tournament team. Uh, they've got some experience. Michigan is off to a great start. Uh, freshman big man Hunter Dickinson is a monster, a guy who Purdue was after heavily on the recruiting trail. They've got a lot of veteran depth around him. They just dominated Northwestern. Prior to me recording this podcast, uh, we saw Ohio State. They're a solid group and never count Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans out. They're off to a slow start, but as the season continues, they are always uh, going to be dangerous come March. John Rothstein will be the first to remind you about that. Looking ahead to this week, though, Purdue has a big week. They welcome Nebraska to Mackey Arena on Tuesday before they head up to East Lansing for a tough one on Friday night. I look at the Nebraska game as a must-win game at this point. The Cornhuskers aren't a great shooting team. Um, shooting towards the bottom of the Big Ten in field goals percentage, three-point percentage, free-throw percentage. They are already embodying Fred Hoiberg's uh, kind of style of being a very transfer-heavy team. And... You know, sometimes that causes some struggles with cohesion. And in the Big Ten, where a lot of teams have played together for a long time now, that's a tough thing for Nebraska to overcome. Uh, Thor Thorbjarnarsson is the biggest name back from last year's group, and he's only scoring a couple points a game for them this year. Teddy Allen uh, has become a very good player for them this year. But, you know, this is a game Purdue has to win. Uh, they finished last in the conference last year. Purdue obviously lost at Pinnacle Bank Arena, a game in December where Purdue just played terribly, and Purdue can't afford to lose games like this this year if they want to be an NCAA tournament team. I don't see Purdue losing this one, but if Purdue isn't careful, every game is losable in the Big Ten this year. 
And then, you know, Friday they go up to East Lansing. This is a weaker Michigan State team. They have not put together a lot of good performances so far this year. They don't have guys who are used to being lead-level players with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman gone from last year's team. Purdue has had success against Michigan State recently. Granted, that has pretty much all come at Mackey Arena. Uh, They haven't won at Breslin since 2017, a game where Miles Bridges, as a freshman, uh, had over 30 points for them. Caleb Swanigan had a great day for Purdue in that one. Uh, But, you know, this is a game where Purdue will look to put some of its consistency issues together. And if they can play a solid 40 minutes of basketball, this is a chance for Purdue to go get a road win against a very good program. Um, I am not saying I expect Purdue to do that, but it's within the realm of possibility. And at the end of the day, Purdue needs to go at least one and one this week. They need to get that win against Nebraska. That is vital. Um, A win at Michigan State would be something that could change the whole season. That would be massive for a young team to go up and beat Michigan State in Breslin Center, but they have to take care of the home court first. That is going to be crucial for Purdue. Now, touching on football a little bit, um, the defensive coordinator hire is still to be determined There really is very little word on where Purdue will go for this hire. Over the weekend, another potential name entered the race with Mark Hagan, a name who is getting a lot of love from former players on social media. He was on Purdue's staff on the defensive side with Brock Spack from 2000 to 2010. Also has experience at Indiana, Texas A&M, and most recently, As the defensive line coach at Texas over the weekend, Tom Herman was fired, and that means Mark Hagan is now on the market. Uh, I certainly don't know if there's any interest from the Purdue side of this, but you know, anytime former players are being outspoken on social media about it, then that's always a plus. Um, He does have familiarity with Purdue and Certainly the state of Indiana, given that he coached at Indiana um, for a while as well. But I don't know that there's a lot of other candidates that jump out as potential fits. Anthony Poindexter already has the co-defensive coordinator label, along with being safety's coach. I don't know that I see him being promoted to the full-time solo defensive coordinator. I don't know that fans would really like that one a whole lot. Purdue has to get this higher right. It cannot afford another Bob Diaco situation. I will admit uh, he's been fired now. I was absolutely wrong on Diaco. I thought the hire could work out, but it obviously didn't. And you look at it now. How many times does a defensive coordinator get fired after six games? That's what Bob Diaco just did. It wasn't an overreaction fire, in my opinion. The defense seemed to get worse every single week. They had a nice performance against Iowa to start the year. And in hindsight, we saw the struggles begin in that game at Illinois when Purdue could not stop a fourth-string quarterback from the Illini. 
Illinois was a bad football team this year, and Purdue struggled to put them away. Purdue didn't force a lot of turnovers. The bend-don't-break philosophy just resulted in a lot of breaking. There wasn't much bending that went on. Um, It's reasonable for fans to want a higher soon. I know there is some growing level of impatience wanting that hire to be made, and I get it. Uh, I think you want to have that stability as soon as possible. I don't know when Purdue plans on getting spring practices going this year. I don't know what those will necessarily look like. Uh, I don't know if COVID will impact those at all, but you know, you want to have as much in place prior to that as possible so that the players can really get going learning the new system. Um, Purdue just has to get this higher right. No matter how long it takes, it is vital and crucial for Purdue to get this higher right to really get the program back on the right, you know, the right trajectory. I don't want to be the guy who overreacts about Jeff Brom and where the program's heading. You know, 2019 was tough. They lost so many players to injury with Elijah Sindelar, Rondale Moore, Lorenzo Neal, Marcus Bailey. Um, but a four and eight season and then to follow it up with a two and four season, I, again, I don't know what the season really meant. I there were so many odd situations, especially in the Big Ten where Wisconsin struggled, Michigan struggled, Penn State struggled. Indiana was, you know, wanted to be in the Big Ten championship game and may have deserved to be in there. Uh, Northwestern bounced back and had an incredible season. The season did seem a little random. If you're a Purdue fan and if you're the Purdue coaching staff, you have to hope that is the truth. But next season is incredibly big for this team. And it starts with this defensive coordinator hire and getting a guy who will be able to turn the ball over. They produce all never going to be a defensive powerhouse. They're never going to be a Georgia, an Alabama, but they can be better than they were this year. And that's what's important is getting to that point. The transfer portal has been fairly quiet around Purdue for the most part. Uh, we saw Ahmad Anderson Jr., a uh, guy who entered the transfer portal after the Rutgers game, was a solid wide receiver for Purdue heading to Temple now. Giovanni Howard entered the portal as well. He has not landed yet. Uh, I still think that was an interesting decision. Um, He's a JUCO guy who came to Purdue with two years of eligibility. Now with the uh, pandemic giving everyone a free year, he does still have two years. But, you know, Howard didn't see tons of action for Purdue this year. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where he winds up. The Boilers did add an offensive line transfer from Western Kentucky. Tyler Witt will have one season of eligibility, likely will play uh, left or right guard for Purdue on the offensive line. You know, I've always been big on building depth up front. That is crucial. Uh, I loved that Purdue added four offensive linemen in the recruiting class this year in the 2021 class. But getting a guy with experience who you should be able to plug and play uh, makes a lot of sense, and I really like that for Purdue. Witt had a nice career at Western Kentucky. He will be a much welcomed addition to Purdue's front. 
it was a solid bowl season for the Big Ten. Uh, just to wrap up with a few thoughts, Ohio State headed to the championship game against Alabama. Uh, any doubt that the Big Ten uh, made the right decision for itself by putting Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game has been erased. The Buckeyes are now playing on the biggest stage after putting a beat down on Clemson. We saw Wisconsin defeat Wake Forest, Northwestern defeat Auburn, and then the Big Ten suffered one loss. Uh, Indiana took a loss to Ole Miss, close game in the Outback Bowl. But the big story out of that was the Hoosiers covering up the Big Ten logo on their jerseys and on their helmets for the game. Obviously a, a bit of a thumb of the nose towards the Big Ten after they changed the eligibility requirements for the Big Ten Championship. Um, I get why IU and IU fans were upset with the Big Ten, but if you were going to do that with your uniforms, you better win. Uh, you better not lose to a 4-5 and five SEC team, and that's what Indiana did. Um, I'm sure there will be some interesting conversations between the Big Ten office, and the Indiana football staff after that one. As a whole, though, college football is just getting rather bland. Another season where Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are so far ahead of every other program in the country, it didn't matter uh, who got the fourth seed to play Alabama. Notre Dame did as well as anyone would have against them. The sport's getting incredibly predictable at this point, and... That isn't good for a sport that prides itself on being the one sport where every game is crucial. Um, you know, it's always every game matters. Every game has the utmost importance. You can't slip up. But now that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State just keep dominating everyone, it really doesn't feel like every game matters. It feels like we are running towards an inevitable uh, conclusion to every season. I don't know that an eight-team playoff would really change anything necessarily. I've personally always been opposed to the eight-team playoff, though now I'm starting to be a little more open uh, just to see some new scenery in the uh, playoff system. But I'm hoping next season is much more normal. I don't know that you know, capacity at games will be back to full, but you know, I'm hoping that nonetheless, it's a normal season. You get your non-conference in, jump into conference play, play your 12 games. Um, maybe we'll see some new faces in the playoff. And then in college basketball, it is looking like Gonzaga versus everyone else at this point. Uh, Baylor deserves a lot of credit too. They're very good, but if you haven't seen Gonzaga yet, uh, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. They're fantastic. They've already easily handled Kansas, Iowa, and Virginia. You know, those are teams that could win the Big 12, Big 10, and ACC, respectively. There's not going to be much drama at the top of the AP poll this year, uh, barring any unforeseen major changes. But, you know, that's the beauty of college basketball sometimes is that once we get to that field of 68 in March, anything can happen. And then a final thought. This weekend, uh, on Sunday, the Big Ten had their first basketball game postponed of the season, uh, the first interconference matchup, Wisconsin versus Penn State, due to some uncertainty in the Penn State program. 
this is never a good occurrence. Uh, you don't want to see any games get canceled because of COVID issues, but it is a good thing that it took this long for it to happen. We see plenty of games get axed every day because of COVID problems. I would love to see the Big Ten continue its stretch of very few COVID canceled games. This is one of the deepest and most talented Big Tens I can remember. I would love to see the regular season get played out in its entirety. Every team get their 20 in. And then we move to the Big Ten tournament for a fun five days of basketball. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending your time with me. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Boilers Beyond to keep up with the latest Purdue news and for in-game live tweets and analysis. Boilers and Beyond is available wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. I'll be back next Monday with a new episode to talk about Purdue's games against Nebraska and Michigan State, but until then, get your 2021 off to a great start.